Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Well, you tell Fast Eddie I don't care if she wrote the article in the New York Times. Some chick that did a podcast on her phone at a library will never appear in this studio. Ass. The following podcast contains... Don't you cuss on this here radio. I apologize to all the friendly folk who are listening. I'll thank you not to use that kind of language in my presence. I happen to have my young son in the car, and I don't want to hear that kind of language. Oh, I hope you'll accept my apologies for my profanity. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When I already had the red hair and then you took my damn tooth? What the hell were you thinking, cruel fortune? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, July 26, 2019. What, me, worry edition of the show? Where we talk about the loss of a goddamn American institution. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Crud Magazine, the less good, less funny humor magazine. Are you looking for jokes that aren't quite funny and cartoons that are almost entertaining? Then try Crud Magazine. Do you find the jokes of the other humor magazine flying over your head, the cartoons a little too highbrow, or are you challenged by the folding of the back pages of the paper? Then Crud is the humor joke thing for you. Our artists weren't quite good enough to make the cut at that other publication. They were told their jokes weren't funny, so they came to Crud. So, if you find the leading humor magazine a little too highbrow for you or find yourself just not getting it, then try Crud. Crud Magazine. Our mascot is clearly not a ripoff of the other guy because our guy is blonde. Oh my god, the Mad Magazine Special Edition. They only put out 17 of these a year. Boy, they're really socking it to that Spiro Agnew guy again. He must work there or something. Let's do the fold-in. Okay. What higher power do TV evangelists worship? I'll say God. I'll say Jesus. The almighty dollar. Fold it, you bought it. Ooh, snappy answers to stupid questions. I'm great at these. Ask me if something smells funny in here, boy. Does something smell funny in here? I don't think so, stupid. (laughs) Tell me, you want pork chops? No, I want roast beef, you clod. (laughs) Look at this. Special insert, ironed on madness. Ban the bath. Don't trust anyone over ten. (laughs) Sock it to me. (laughs) Those magazines create a dangerous amount of laughter. Before the advent of this so-called information superhighway, knowledge was stuck in the slow lane. And that joke is super old. Well, duh, that was kind of the point. The reason I use that dated reference is because as a kid, it was hard to learn things you needed to know. Sure, school taught you stuff, but it wasn't important stuff. These days, kids can find anything they need to know on the internet, but in the 70s and 80s, we only had the stupid encyclopedia, and it rarely contained information about, you know, important stuff. Boobs! Boobs, boobs, boobs! Fortunately for me... 
I had one of the most important sources of information a young person of my generation could possess, an uncle still in his early 20s. My mom's youngest brother, LB, was a font of knowledge on things other adults seemed either unwilling or unable to provide, like a sip of his beer or a puff off a cigarette, or most importantly, access to certain reading materials frowned upon by my parents. The porno mags? No, absolutely not. I can unequivocally state my uncle never gave me a porno mag. He said they cost too much money and we wouldn't understand it anyway. What he did give me was my very first copy of a different kind of magazine. A magazine far more subversive than any airbrushed full bush porn spread could ever be. He gave me a magazine filled with cartoons mocking authority, questioning the government, knocking the system and against the status quo of the American consumer capitalist culture. He gave me... My very first Mad Magazine. And it changed my life forever. In that instant, my young eyes were forever opened that authority was not something to be bowed before and submitted to meekly. Authority was something to be mocked, derided, skewered, snickered at, obfuscated, elude, and generally laughed at because the people who had authority were just as dumb as me. I fully credit Mad Magazine for leading to me my love of stand-up and sketch comedy, which in so many ways was just Mad Magazine brought to life. Mad dropped into my life at just the right time to influence my thinking when I was old enough to start questioning the world and still young enough to self-consciously read Mad Magazine. Those few years before teenage angst takes control of a young person and (laughs) turns us into a ball of anxiety because we think that someone out there might want to laugh at us. Which they already were. I was too young for the heyday of National Lampoon, which was never intended for children in the way that Mad was. Not that Mad was a children's magazine. It was just a magazine that kids could understand. As Matt Keeley wrote in the blog at kittysneezes.com, which I did not make up, quote, the gist of it is that Mad skews too young and is too toothless, which I'm not sure if I entirely agree with. Mad does skew a little younger than National Lampoon did, which isn't to say that only kids read mad but rather that it opened itself up to everyone where the lampoon was obviously adults only unquote and by the time it was old enough to appreciate the lampoon the lampoon was deep into its long decline while mad was still ticking along doing what it always did but for a new generation of young nerds mad was kind of a primer of comedy It taught parody and sapphire and the comic expose in a way that young people could easily understand, but using the elements of pop culture they already knew. I loved the movie parodies in Mad more than I loved the movies themselves. I knew the jokes in the Mad Star Wars parody, May the Force Be With You, issue issue number 196, January of 1978, far better than I knew the lines of the actual movie to the point I would piss off my friends when we would play Star Wars at recess. From the lighter side by Dave Berg to Don Martin to Spy vs. Spy, I consumed every panel, gag, and Easter egg of an issue. I never had a subscription because honestly, you don't think it ever occurred to me to get one. Getting mad was something I could just wheedle out of my mom at the grocery store, so I guess there was never a need. But my bedroom was littered with issues that I would read over and over again. Right up until the time I got serious about Dungeons and Dragons and reading the Monster Manual supplanted Sergio Aragones, mostly because there were some boobs in Monster Manual. Mad bridged the gap between the years of my life, of childhood years, and my teens seamlessly. It just fit who I was becoming as a young person. 
And I like to think that maybe in a different life, I might have pursued writing or acting or comedy straight out of school rather than the twisted past to whatever the fuck it is I'm doing now because of Mad. But, you know, the world didn't work out like that. It's hard to do when you're moving around all the time. And, you know, I, I didn't really think that it would turn out the way it did. And the self-pity is probably not what the show should be about. But I'm just saying that it could have been different and it could have been because of Mad and it wasn't. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, uh, that's my 50-year-old guilt kicking in again. What I'm saying is that I remember F Mad with a fond nostalgia of youth, even though I haven't read an issue in Mad in probably fucking, I don't know, 35 years? What's the point of all this? The point? Oh, yeah, you know, there's supposed to be a point here. Well, you see, Mad recently announced that it was done. DC Comics, who owns the magazine these days, said that after 67 years, it would no longer be producing new content or be sold on newsstands. For the few remaining issues in production, it would be sold at comic book shops or mailed directly to subscribers. And then after that, it would run reprints or other recycled content. But effectively, Mad Magazine is dead. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying. So, uh, you know, what happened? Well, like any good eulogy for the fallen, we can't start at the end. We have to... The job went wrong, you went back to the beginning. And that's where we go, back to 1952, New York City. Five short years after William Gaines took over EC or entertaining comics from his father, Maxwell, Williams was looking to diversify EC comics and was willing to take some risk in doing it. So he turned to an artist by the name of Harvey Kurtzman, who was also working at EC, to be the editor of a new comic book that was making fun of other comic books, and they created what they call Mad Magazine Comic. Quote, Tales calculated to drive you mad, humor in the jugular vein, unquote, was the splash on the first issue. And that first issue sank into the swamp. From reading from the Wikipedia article, the first issue contained four stories, each a parody of a different comic book genre, horror, science fiction, crime, and westerns. These general parodies soon gave way to parodies of targeted subjects. Tarzan was the first such parody, with Melvin in the second issue. The first three issues struggled. They didn't sell enough of their 350,000 copy print run to even break even, and lost thousands of dollars for EC. In the fourth issue appeared the Wally Wood-drawn Super Duper Man, a parody of Superman and Captain Marvel, and the copyright infringement lawsuit that the National Periodicals had recently brought against Fawcett Comics. The fourth issue, that was the thing that made the fourth issue sell out, and MAD had found its audience. But MAD Magazine Comic had a problem. Because it was a comic book. And in 1954, comics had a problem. They were corrupting the youth of America. So the publishers were forced to create the Comic Code Authority of America to keep the devil in ink from destroying young minds. And EC Comics was singled out by the haters for its content in particular. In fact, it's possible that EC was just a bunch of them commies. But Kurtzman had an idea. They would, wouldn't be a comic book anymore. Mad would be a magazine. 
Quote, Kurtzman gathered a collection of newsstand magazines to work out the standards under which MAD was to operate. EC Comics had been printed on cheap paper on presses also used for newspapers. Also, for MAD, Kurtzman found a higher quality printer in Brooklyn through a printing broker, George Doherty. He also chose to forego color and have the typeset lettering instead of hand lettering, typical of comic books, to give the magazine a sheer of class. The magazine format, the 24th issue of MAD, debuted in July of 1955 with a 25-cent cover price, and the EC crew went to watch it coming off the presses. It was so much more successful than anticipated that unusual in magazine publishing that that first run of the magazine was given a second printing, unquote. Trust me, that never happens, that they do a second print run of a magazine. Not even today. Well, definitely not today because no one's printing a magazine, but I'll come back to that later on. Now, the one thing you wouldn't find in your Mad Magazine that you might find in others was... Delia, have you actually ever heard of tact? Tact is just not saying true stuff. Right, but also advertising. Mad ran without actual advertising. I mean, it was rife with parody ads. I mean, where do you think the idea for the sponsors of this show originated? But real companies are pitching their crap to mad readers. That just wasn't done. From a 1977 article in the New York Times, quote, month after month, issue after issue, in a relentlessly good-natured way, Mad told us that everything was askew, that there were lies in advertising, that other comic books lied, that television movies lied, and that adults in general, when faced with the unknown, lied, unquote. The entire idea of Mad was subversion of advertising, mass media, and pop culture, and freed from the necessity of pleasing their sponsors and owned private by Bill Gaines, Mad Magazine could do virt- what virtually no other media publication of its time or this time could do, say whatever the fuck it wanted. And <laughs> oh boy, did they ever say what they wanted. You know, in a world after Mad, it's impossible to understand how subversive Mad Magazine was. In its heyday, literally nothing was taboo for ridicule. And Mad, unlike, say, a podcast host with a pin shot for a potty mouth and obscene metaphors, they did it with a sly smirk and a gap-toothed grin that invites the right reader to think... This is just a kid's magazine. Meanwhile, that kid's magazine was busy demolishing the conceits of government, Hollywood, religion, and Madison Avenue. Because Mad didn't swear or show any kind of sex, the writers and artists could layer jokes with criticism and political ideas that if a parent of the 50s and 60s were to bother to read and understand, it would get the magazine banned from newsstands in their friendly little towns and their children barred from ever even looking at its cover. All the while, Mad was telling the readers who were kids that Everything was a lie, including Mad Magazine. They were all in on it. All of them. To be sure, not every kid who flipped the pages of Mad became radicalized. Most of us were there for the jokes. Not every Mad piece was a socio-political indoctrination. This wasn't the daily worker. Nor did the creators want to radicalize their readers. They were trying to get up the pro- they weren't trying to get the proletariat to seize the means of production. They wanted to write funny shit. But those who did see the second-order joke that the joke was on us, those people were influenced deeply. From an article in the L.A. Times by Richard Boddy in 2007, quote, 
The magazine instilled in me a habit of mind, a way of thinking about a world rife with false fronts, small print, deceptive eyes, booby traps, treacherous language, double standards, half-truths, subliminal pitches, and product placements. It warned me that I was merely the target of people who claimed to be my friend. It prompted me to mistrust authority, to read between the lines, to take nothing at face value, to see patterns in the often shoddy construction of movies and TV shows, and it got me to think critically in a way that few actual human humans charged with my care bothered to think. Really, Mad Magazine was like a disreputable older brother back from college or a babysitter who once worked in Madison Avenue and had a nervous breakdown and couldn't stop talking about his old job, unquote. Because it was in the small stuff, the really subversive shit went down. The interstitial between the big pieces or the one-off comments are alighted between punchlines. The really good stuff could be found. Mad rewarded the close reader the rereader, and the kid who understood what they weren't saying was as important as any jokes in the piece. It rewarded clever readers in a way other publications couldn't or wouldn't. It might be tempting for my younger listeners, all three of you, to think Mad Magazine a victim of the modern decline of dead tree media. But in 2014, a Mashable article said Mad still said they had around 100,000 subscribers, which is more than enough to sustain a print magazine even today. And the average age of the subscriber then was 24 years old. So I wouldn't go so far as to say the internet killed killed Mad Magazine. In truth, Mad had been in a long decline from its peak newsstand sales of 2.8 million in the mid-1970s, back when I was snatching them off the racks and begging my mom to buy them for me. But then it fell off precipitously in the 1980s. The Mad generations, the baby boomers who rebelled against the culture of their parents, were now parents themselves with little time for the frivolity of Mad, and they also knew that Mad wasn't suitable for the kind of children it was convenient for them to raise. The only reason I got away with reading Mad magazine is neither of my parents parents had ever read an issue in their lives, I know I asked them for this podcast. In the 1980s, there was a reversion to the conformist ideas of the 50s and early 60s in a lot of ways. And while Mad kept right on mocking that cultural revanche, a lot of us 80s kids were swept up in the consumer dystopian utopia of the time. We liked having lots of cool shit that beeped and whirred. We enjoyed the conformity of fashion and music and television and movies. The 50s nostalgia of the 80s came was way more than a fad for doo-wop music by Billy Joel. It came with not rock the cultural boat that was Reagan's America and being reminded how we were just little clones dressed in the united colors of Benetton didn't really make us feel that good about ourselves. I know I stopped reading Mad in those days, but enough of Mad had stuck with me that by the 90s, I, along with a lot of my generation, were ready to rebel. And when we did, it was in a way that the creators of Mad could understand. We stopped believing in anything. We got cynical, or perhaps we got wise to the game. When Generation X came into our own in the 90s, we started crafting our own kind of satire. The Onion newspaper took the cutting satire and mockery of Mad Magazine and redefined it for the 90s. 
first published in 1998, The Onion became the go-to humor magazine for the campus set in the 1990s. And when the internet came along, The Onion was perfect for its transition to the online world. Gone were the sly referential musings and sidebars that define mad, and the subversive snark was right there in the plain text. We did away with the winking and nodding and just fucking said what was fucked up right there in the joke. When The Onion went online in 1996, which is basically prehistory for the internet, and it just, it just fit. Everyone got The Onion, and The Onion is still there, although it ceased print publication in 2013. As an aside, the venerable onion has gone through a not dissimilar path than Mad Magazine, which I will eventually get to if I can stop with these goddamn tangents. What I'm saying is that the 1990s Mad Magazine has lost most of its cultural relevance and a good bit of advice, of its bite. And one of Mad's problems was... A problem or a blessing? Yeah, it was both, because the creators of Mad in the 1990s were still the same people who were doing Mad in the 60s and 70s. Al Jaffe, the man behind the Mad fold in the back cover, contributed to Mad from 1964 until 2013. Many of the other major contributors stayed with Mad their entire careers. Even the young writers acquired over the years aged into the magazine and just stayed. When you wrote for Mad, you stayed at Mad. 10 for 10 for being a great place to work, minus several hundred for bringing in new blood. And so by the early 2000s, the usual gang of idiots were showing their age, and I mean showing their age literally. And it's not like Matt didn't try to stay culturally relevant or try to keep up with the trends. They went so far as to do their own movie a la National Lampoon in 1980. But man, oh man, did that effort stink like weak old fish. From the madman who started it all, Mad Magazine presents The Academy. A movie so bad that according to its Wikipedia page entry, quote, it was such a commercial debacle and critical failure that Mad successfully arranged for all references to the magazine, including a cameo by Alfred Newman, to be removed from future TV and video releases of the film. And all those, those references were eventually restored in the DVD version, which was titled Mad. Mad Magazine presents Up the Academy, Mad also devoted two pages of its magazine to an attack on the movie, titled Throw Up the Academy. The spoof's ending collapsed into a series of inter-office memos between the writer, artist, editor, and publisher, all bewailing the fact that they were forced to satirize such a terrible film, unquote. Pro tip, Fod friends, do not go out and watch this movie, okay? I mean, I say this as a connoisseur, of bad 80s movies and bad 80s movies with some very questionable 2019 mores but honestly one of the guy, one of the camp the school counselors was openly a pedophile and that was supposed to be funny even for 1980 no that wasn't funny it was an awful movie i watched this movie in like 84 or 85 peak nerd boob movie years And even I was horrified. In 1992, William Gaines died and Mad was purchased by DC Comics, bringing under the auspice of a Warner Media who wanted to capitalize on the brand of Mad. 
which is why Fox licensed the name for a Saturday Night Live ripoff called Mad TV, which was apparently on from 1995 until 2009. I did not know that. <laughs> Mad TV had little or nothing to do with Mad Magazine aside from a few spy versus spy cartoons, the name and an occasional crossover was them. I mean, even the, after a few seasons, the TV show stopped using Mad Scott Alfred E. Newman, much to Mad Magazine's relief. Oh, and this is important because you might think that you knew something about this, but Jim Carrey was on In Living Color, not Mad TV, which for some reason I always confused. But Key and Peele did come out of Mad TV, so it wasn't all bad. I will give Mad TV credit for one of my favorite parody skits, a movie parody skits of all time, in the sort of Mad Magazine tradition that no one else could truly do. And this, this movie skit, this movie parody, had everything that Mad Magazine represented. Tom Hanks. Samuel L. Jackson. Double shrimp chase, plates with chase. Uma Thurman. John F. Kennedy. Lee Harvey Oswald, Gary Sinise, and Phil Lamar. Not again! Die, you sweetly retarded catchphrase spewing moron! Die! Now maybe it's just me, but I believe we're gonna have to get medieval on your buttocks. This summer, you won't know the gump until you see the fiction. I can't to this day even think about Forrest Gump without thinking, die, you sweetly retarded catchphrase spewing more. In 2001, the magazine broke its policy of not running advertising in the pages because it wasn't because of declining sales or subscriptions, the editor explained. It was because it was just the natural way of things in the 2000s. The ad market was so fractured that the magazine could still continue mocking products just not the products that chose to advertise in Mad. So Mad got ads, and the ads kept her afloat a little while longer. By 2009, the magazine went from publishing monthly to quarterly, and then to bi-monthly in 2010, as it struggled to find its footing in the modern era. It even tried the much ballyhooed reboot in 2018, which generated a lot of press and goodwill, but failed to gin up much in the way of revenue. The world was moving on fast, and Mad Magazine has always been a slow enterprise, slow to create, slow to consume. Mad is nuance, and 2019 does not do nuance. It does quick hits, hot takes, neither of which has anything to do with Mad Magazine. But honestly, I think it was irony that finally killed Mad Magazine. In May, the President of the United States, who would have withered under the pins of early Mad Magazine, shout out a tweet bestowing on his, one of his little pet names on Pete Buttigieg, saying, quote, Alfred E. Newman cannot become president of the United States, unquote, which is patently false. Alfred E. Newman has been portrayed as POTUS countless times in the pages of, the Na of MAD and is clearly more qualified than a demented rapist and career criminal currently posing as commander-in-chief. That Donald J. Trump, a caricature of a human being and president, should use Alfred E. Newman to denigrate another candidate is bad enough, but what is worse... Mayor Pete didn't even know who the fuck Alfred E. Newman was. 
And Donald Trump today in an interview um, compared you to the Mad Magazine mascot, said Alfred E. Newman can never be president. What's your response to him? So I'll be honest, I had to Google that. <laughs> I guess it's a generational thing. I didn't get the reference. Uh, I, it's kind of funny, I guess, but... Uh... No offense, Mayor Pete, but fuck you, man, for making me feel old. Punk-ass millennial not knowing who the fuck Alfred E. Newman was. You know Mad TV was on when you were a kid. I guess you were too busy reading Finnegan's Wake or some shit to stay up on late on a Friday. Mad Magazine was a creation of a world that is just plain gone. It was created for a generation expected to grow up in lockstep conformity and beige compliance to a set of social norms they had no part in crafting and wanted no part in consuming. It came of age in a world rocked by scandal and the loss of confidence in pretty much everything, where the structure of the old world was torn apart and never quite replaced with something for the new. It mellowed into middle age during the renaissance of conformity and consumerism during the Reagan years, and was put out to pasture in a time where apathy and distrust dominated a generation who had finally had the information to realize how fucked they truly were and lacked the patience to be coy about their feelings. And now it dies and is buried in a time at least as dangerous and precarious as it was during its birth in the Halcyon days. At the same time, the monoculture that made Mad Mad has splintered. While the white Protestant hegemony of the mid-20th century America is not going quietly into the good night, indeed, it rages from its perch on the shitter every fucking morning, it is going. And in its place is a multicultural polyglot of sensibilities and norms that struggles to find a way to say what is sacrosanct and what is a false idol. The right calls it political correctness and demeans the idea that living in a country where you are free to say anything you choose doesn't mean that saying something that pisses people off is free of consequence. In the monoculture, you could be a racist prick and get away with it or grope women and still be accepted. In the multiculture, they refuse that idea. If the price we pay for more people feeling included is one is that, I don't know, we can't tell some jokes, even some jokes that Mad might have happily made once upon a time, to me, that's a small price to pay for a better world where more people are included rather than kept out on the fringes if they're kept anywhere at all. David Drondreal wrote about this in the Washington Post, quote, Mad's April 1974 cover boiled the entire sensibility down to a single outrageous image, an upraised middle finger. The blowback was sufficiently intense that publisher Willing Gaines never went there again. But it wasn't the readers who objected. It was our moms, dads, ministers, librarians, our oppressors. To be subversive, however, requires a dominant culture to subvert. Mad was the smart aleck spawn of an age of mass media when everyone watched the same networks, flocked to the same movies, and saluted the flame, same flag. Without established authorities, it had no reason for being. Like the kid in the back of the classroom tossing spitballs and making fart sounds, a journal of subversive humor is funny only if there's someone up front attempting to maintain order, unquote. The world that gave us mad is fading, and the sooner it is gone, the better. And if that means there is no longer a place for mad, well, again, that's just the price that we should be willing to pay. Mad was a product created by thinking people who trusted the people who consumed it to think. 
It even taught them how to think for themselves if they were clever enough to figure it out. It did it without taking itself seriously in the least, but also taking the world around it as deadly serious as it was. It left in its wake a family of successors and imitators, generations of comedians and thinkers, and a mountain of satire and snark that will continue to exist and delight because in many ways, Mad Magazine was a creature of its time, but it's also quite timeless. I have a friend whose young son spends his Saturdays reading his father's old issues of Mad Magazine and hooting and laughter. And so long as there are young people out there who could understand the nuances of a Melvin and Jenkins guide or Alfred's poor almanac, who can see a Don Martin drawing and giggle at the fweep and fooms, who will always chuckle at the lighter side of, whether in a moldering magazine, a dog-eared paperback, or packaged, for mo- or packaged in a modern meme, Mad will never truly die. There will always be someone for whom a Mad magazine cover will be suitable for framing or even for wrapping fish. That is it for our show this week. I don't think I uh, intended to write an elegy for Mad Magazine when I started writing the show this week, but clearly that's that's what I did. I'm standing over the grave of Mad Magazine and doing a poem of some kind. Mostly, I think I just set out when I started writing because I couldn't handle the thought of watching six hours of Mueller testimony because I knew beforehand that nothing was going to come out of it that we didn't already know, and nothing was going to come after it because, and I want to be clear and specific when I say this, the Democrats are a group of sackless wonders. I'm as anatomically impaired as a kendo. And they don't have the wavos to impeach. So they'll just keep running in place, never going anywhere, never doing anything, and hope a miracle happens. Speaking of a miracle, it would take one of those miracles for you to give this show five stars wherever you get your pods. Do you see the gentle self-mocking of the show is also something that I took from Mad Magazine. I've got so much mad in me. You can read all of my Dave looks at tweets at the hell underscore podcast on Twitter. And if you head over to SoundCloud at the show name or whatthehellpodcast.com and take all the shows and fold them together, it spells out a very, very rude word in the title. So for me, Dave Black Spy Bledsoe, producer White Spy Gavin, and all the fictional Sergio tunes on this show, we want to say, take it away, Alfred E. Newman, and this Flush and Nurger 5, and we'll see you all next week. so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.